For more than 25 years, Atlanta has tuned into my straightforward financial advice. I'm Dr. Gene Hensler, and this is Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. My staff and I will give you fact-based, no-nonsense answers to your financial questions. To have your questions answered on the air, send them to me, Dr. Gene at Hensler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, August 11th, 2018. The only thing we have to fear... The economic health of this nation has been... ...for essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline... Greed. ...in the dollar... It's a late rally on Wall Street. Too big to fail. Growing the economy. Growing the economy. It's amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Money Talks. What's up, Weekend Warriors? You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most-respected money show on radio. I'm your host, Nick Antonucci, joined today by Jared McKenzie from our planning department. Yes, sir. Morning, Jared. Morning. Jacob Keene, my fellow research analyst. What's up? What's up? And our special guest from the research department, our newest intern, Buster. Yeah. What's up, guys? Glad to have <laughs> you here, Buster. Don't mess up. It's my only advice. <laughs> well, guys, uh, Troy's not here, so I'll be filling in for him. But uh, rest assured, you're in good hands with the rest of the team here. And uh, hopefully we can give you some great uh, information this week as we recap the markets, um, take some listener questions, kind of dig into a, a financial situation that pertains to a lot of people and um, really just kind of try and give you some guidance as to what the future holds as far as we can see it, which sometimes that gets a little cloudy, right, Jacob? A few feet or two. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's the crystal ball saying for uh, the rest of the year, man? What are you guys down in research? Well, thing? you know, yeah. at the start of the year when we sent out our forecast to clients, we, we call it for about a 6 to 8% per, uh, percent return, yep. which yeah, is but below now, the long-term average. And we're at, we're at 8.22% year-to-date in the S&P 500. Go on, Jacob. I was going to say now we think the market's going to double. Between now <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we got <laughs> the rest of the year. Uh, we got a little ways to go. Okay. Uh, but as I said, yeah, 8.22% for the year, one and a quarter so far this week. So the market is trending higher again. We're getting close to all-time highs again. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think for for a more realistic answer, I think part of part of where my mindset is right now is you saw a lot of the momentum plays, the tech plays early on in the year really carrying the market. Um, now it feels like there's a little, you know, uh, under-the-radar rotation going on. So. Maybe we close out the year with some of these underloved names catching a bid, Absolutely. people taking profits in some of the, the higher-flying names. Um, and we saw, you know, just in the last few weeks, kind of towards the end of earnings season, which has been strong and we'll get into here shortly, but the high flyers, the Facebook and Netflix, yeah. two of the fangs, yeah. both fell 20% plus. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was almost like there was a, a, a little narrative there for a second that if Apple missed, then... The whole thing was going to crumble, but luckily they came in with a they nice did. always Apple they coming did. through in the clutch. <laughs> then, yeah. then then Google both, which you know kind of screws up the whole thing. We'll still refer to it as Google. I mean, I guess uh, would you guys say that's what's continued to keep pushing it? I mean, you, you throughout the year, I mean, with all this tariff talk and all the other things that have been happening, you know, it seems like the market struggled quite a bit. But you know, as of late, after that 
you know, pullback, if you will. We saw the first quarter, maybe a little bit in the second, all that volatility. Now it's just continued. You're starting to see on these headlines again, uh, reaching record highs and things like that. Yeah. And it's just maybe, maybe some, there was some overreaction to the tariff talk. The earnings are continuing to be good. I mean, what, what do you think continues to push it after we saw that pullback and now we're kind of back well, to these records? Well, I think, I think seeing that we're grinding higher here, I, I think my perspective is some of it might just be assets coming home. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at the emerging market space, you look even at developed equities, people are thinking to themselves, well, U.S. GDP is growing at 4.1%. Right. At the same time, you've got tariff talk. So do you want to own uh, Alibaba or mm-hmm. uh, uh, Nestle or I, something I think, like I that think that's it, exposed to potential tariffs? Sure. Most people, and even you're starting to see in the news today, articles coming out that, that even the Chinese are starting to think, well – you know, we kind of said we'd, we'd battle you in this trade war, but yeah. wait a second, where are we thinking this? Might have gotten in over our head a little yeah, bit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You guys, the U.S. is going to hold up a lot better than the Chinese are. Mm-hmm. Another thing, and and this may or may not be the influence on that, Jerry, that you're saying, the tariff talk used to, you know, send markets up and down 1%, but it's getting almost to be like when you had, and I hate to say this, but terroristic events happen, you know, headline-driven mm-hmm. events. The market eventually becomes numb to them. You know, right, if, right. if it's every week, it's a new headline on tariffs. Right. It starts to, to lose to lose the influence that it has on markets. Sure. So I think to some extent it might be that as well. Well, you know, I find interesting with these numbers you guys have pro- provided us with today that uh, what has trailed and, and really lagged all year long all of a sudden has become the leaders over the last week. I mean, are we seeing a shift somewhere with the consumer discretionary and telecom sectors that, uh, again, have been the, the leading strugglers, if you will, uh, year to date? Now, all of a sudden, kind of, is this them bouncing back a little bit or is there a shift somewhere? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a little bit of that rotation that we were talking about. And I think some of it is, uh, if you think about kind of, what the what the talk has been, you know, past six to nine months, it's been this thought that rates are going higher, rates are going higher. Well, what we've actually seen is a flattening of the curve, and that's when these some of these value names start to get more attractive. I mean, we've got the 10-year as of today at 2.93%. So if you think about the value plays are typically more dividend-oriented, uh, well, those yields, when you can find four or five – Heck, even six percent yields in some of these really fundamentally strong names. Sure, that becomes to, uh, an attractive rotation point. In fact, if you think back to uh, February, Nick, one of the things that our clients were actually uh, asking a lot of questions about is they would be in one of our more conservative portfolios, which really leans more towards those dividend payers. Well, when we saw uh, rates moving up through January and February. It was kind of a, a dumping of some of those names, really, yeah. when yeah, you absolutely. think consumer staples and that sort of stuff. And, and so we were trying to explain to them that, yes, these, you know, in the broader scheme are less risky positions than, you know, your typical market position. But as, you know, the market dynamics change, I mean, people were moving into Google as the safe play as opposed to, and, say, like a CVS who had a great report this week. Right, and it, it is difficult for people to understand that. They say, oh, I'm in your more conservative portfolio. The market's going down. Why am I falling less than the market? Well, you know, in cases like this, it is kind of a, a strange situation, but there there is an explanation for it. And, and if you stay with the strategy, we, we you know, are yeah. with strong conviction feel as though we are going to continue to see that rotation out of the growth names into the more 
uh, defensive value-oriented stocks. So It always goes back to risk and return, right? I mean, you expect to be compensated more in times like this when you're taking on more risk by owning companies like Netflix and Facebook and Amazon and, and any tech-related stuff or, 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 you know, more generally things that are just more risky. You expect that. So when, you know, when we talk to clients about sort of that, that relation between risk and return, it's like, okay, that's very easy to see on the upside, but a lot of people don't realize how that works on the downside where it's not dollar for dollar. And the way that I always explain it to them is that it's much more meaningful on the downside because it's not dollar for dollar. You know, it's like if, if you lose half your money, then you're going to need a 100% return just to get back to where you were. So if you're doing really well when times get bad, but then you end up suffering just as bad when the, there's a pullback, well, that just means you're going you're gonna to spend a lot more time playing catch up when the markets turn back around and not making any progress. So that's just not where you want to be. I know it feels good right now to be making a lot if you are heavily invested in the information technology sector, but you know I would highly recommend a review and potential rebalance of your accounts if that is the case, because now is the time to start taking some of that off the table, given how uh, much of a premium that those things are trading at, and start to rebalance into some of these more consumer discretionary type companies that are going to perform more defensively if we right. turn down. Right, right. And, and I, th- I think when we say that, it's kind of thinking, you know, somewhat intuitively in that there's kind of a hierarchy of the consumer share of wallet, right? You know, some of these things you have to spend money on. You mm-hmm. have to spend money on keeping your lights on. You might right. cut back your Netflix subscription. Yeah. If, if your spending power does get pressured and moving kind of into the economic picture, Nick, what we've seen is – You've got CPI up 2.8, 2.9% year over year. Wages on, in real terms aren't gaining, and we're actually seeing consumers begin to spend a little bit more than they're making. So levering up, you know, savings rates are low. The overall economic picture is, is bright. I mean, you look at – we got jobless, jobless claims this week. Continue to push lows, unemployment rate at 3.9%. The consumer is certainly confident right now. You're right. seeing that evidence in retail sales that are up 6.6%, right? Yeah. L- yeah. Latest reading. Uh, confidence is measured by, if you want to look at Conference Board or University of Michigan, both are, you know, at near historic highs. Um, you said the savings rate's down. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think overall, we're just kind of saying, let's, let's temper the expectations a little bit, you know, as, as we're, we got, a plus percent this year. We got more than 20 percent last year. We're in a late cycle environment. That's kind of the theme, the shift, the theme that we're seeing. You know, maybe start to think about some of these more boring type stocks. You it's know? time yeah. to go into protection mode. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, really, at, at some point, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and you know, something we like to recap every week is is earnings season, and I think we have about you know 35 companies, 40 companies left to report. So. Um, yeah, what is it now, about 80 to 90% of all of the Yeah, we're, I mean, we're just about through. you got some big names next week, like I think Walmart, who's always late. Uh, we had Disney this week. Um, but earnings are up 25.56%. Oh, yeah. Impressive. That's off oh, last yeah. last quarter. First quarter earnings grew, what, 24.5%. Um, you look at energy, 130% year over year. Yeah, insane. Yeah, with oil prices up, that's that's a benefit. That's a benefit for sure. So definitely a strong earnings season um, has been propelling markets, I'd say. Um, the one the one thing I wouldn't mention, though, is I, I'm kind of thinking about moving into Q4. That's when you start to get into these tough tougher comps. comps. Yep, for you're sure. You're thinking about tax reform. And, uh, I mean, that's kind of what's driven driven this 25% year-over-year growth. We might start moving down that starts to back into off. the teens, yeah. you know, moving into the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, uh, I think it's probably a good st- stopping point for us. Um, you listen to Money Talks, don't touch that dial.
Dog of the Week. All right, Buster, you're filling in for Troy here. This is his baby every week, so make it count. <laughs> you know he's listening. Got to have a good one. All right, so this past week in San Antonio, Texas, a man attempted to steal a baby shark and took it home in a baby stroller and said he was trying to protect the shark and thought it was in harmful conditions. Oh, stealing a shark. How do you – are they I not – I saw a movie about this one time. It was like Ace Ventura or something. Oh, that was a dolphin. <laughs> it was a dolphin. It's a dolphin. That's right. <laughs> Interesting. So was this – it was a baby shark, so it wasn't – obviously it wasn't that big to be able no, to put in a shark. No, 16 inches. Oh, okay. was, he, was he keeping it small so he could jump over it? <laughs> jump, like, why did he steal jump what is the he shark? Oh, okay. the, he's just trying to protect it or what? <laughs> so – he took it home, and then after he got caught, he said he was trying to protect it. But I don't think he was doing much protecting, pushing a, sh- a shark around in a stroller. Yeah, how do you keep <laughs> it alive? Was there water that's in the stroller? Question. Yeah, I don't know. That's... No, no, he just put it in the stroller, and that's how he got caught because there was water dripping down from the, from the stroller. This was in was San Antonio, Texas, you said? Yeah. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. I, I Strange people in the world, but. Uh, yeah. I don't know why you'd want to. I mean, it'd be cool to wish. have a shark for a pet, but you'd have to have some serious equipment. He probably saw I mean, Stephen yeah. Cohen, the hedge fund manager, who has that giant. <laughs> yeah, well, shark I guess. You know what? Yeah, you, there's probably a market for that. You, yeah. can, you can make quite a, a bit off of somebody like, like him. So. Well, the other question yeah. is do you go ahead and start out with the big tank? <laughs> or do you just upgrade, you know, as it grows? Good question. I don't know. I feel like if you put it in a small tank, you're going to, like, Stun its growth. It's not going to reach the full potential. <laughs> well, if you're going to do something, you got to do it right. You That's know, right. You don't want to go in there and just... Maybe hit an above-ground pool or something. <laughs> it's just going to toss it in. <laughs> wow. Okay, well. All right, guys. Well, before we uh, dive into our financial hot topic for the week, let's recap a few of the week's uh, economic releases. NBA mortgage applications, this is a weekly release. We saw fall again this week. Um, the index was down 3%. Refinance uh, applications were down 4.5%, while purchases was, were down 2%. Um, at the same time, you had mortgage rates down a little bit. So yeah, it's, kind, kind it's of been tailing me. off a bit. It lately. has, yeah. And I think a lot of that's kind of supply-related. I, I still think there's a, a huge supply shortage for yeah. homes. Um, and obviously, prices rising as well, playing into that. Uh, we got producer price index today. Um, fell short of expe- expectations, but nonetheless, I don't think this is this one reading is anything you get hung up on in terms of kind of dictating the, the Fed's next move. And inflation seems as though it's picking up. I think year over year, the previous report was 3.1 headline on PPI, if I'm not mistaken, right. 2.7, I want to say, um, core. Uh, nonetheless, we'll get consumer price index early next week, so we'll see. Pretty hot going. overall, and I think the thing to watch with that is – do margins start to decay a little bit as you know the input costs sure. are, are seemingly a little higher yeah, than got to than what they're what they're paying you know on the retail side? Yeah, I, I would think they would. But as you mentioned, jobless claims um, fell six thousand this week to two hundred thirteen thousand. The four-week moving average slipped by five hundred to two hundred fourteen thousand two hundred fifty. Um, all in all, you need to know here is employment still looks strong. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked like it was flattening there for a second, but been another surge lower. Yeah, and uh, last Friday we got a, a jobs report, 157,000 jobs added to the economy. Uh, that was last Friday, right? Am I confusing my weeks? Yeah, last yeah. Friday. 157,000 yeah. jobs added, short of expectations. Um, it was. But, it was, but the jobs that were added were those strong wage jobs that we saw, you know, business services, healthcare, right. that sort of thing. And if you think back to a year or two ago, 
it felt like we were getting these strong 200,000 plus reports, but when you dig down into the numbers, retail, yeah, a bunch part-time. of bartenders, yeah, which I'll take 157 of, you know, higher salary jobs. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and unemployment take back down below 4% to 3.9%. So employment picture does look strong. Uh, interest rates this week, uh, not a whole lot of movement. You had the 10-year fall, about five basis points. We did take up to 3%. I think this morning we were back down to... It's 293, I Yeah, lower low 290s. 30-year, uh, uh, about 3.13%. Um, and that spread between 10s and 2s is still around 29 basis points, something like that. So yeah, the spreads are tight. One kind of side note on that is we did see uh, the Japanese government bonds move up like 10 basis points, but that hasn't pressured U.S. rates at no. all. And no, in it fact, um, if you look at kind of the inflation break-evens in Japan, it's almost like the the, the market in Japan is calling uh, Kuroda's bluff. Like, yeah. you can't tighten. There's no way. What, I mean, <laughs> what, what left is there to, yeah. to do in Japan, really? I don't know. Um, one last thing I want to touch on as far as the economy goes is – we did get Eurozone GDP uh, come out this week, 1.4% for the second quarter. Uh, that's down from 1.5 in the first quarter. It's the slowest pace in three years. So if you just kind of put that in perspective to economic growth here domestically at 4.1%, huge disparity between the two. And yeah. you have you have Euro, uh, the Eurozone who says at the end of 2018 – we're going to end our bond buying program. They're not saying they're going to hike rates, but with economic growth like that, you got to assume that any kind of rate hike is not in the near term. No, unless no. the the economic picture changes. Quickly. No, and for investors, I mean, you look at you, you look at the numbers on this year. I mean, foreign developed stocks down 2.91 percent. Right. Right. S and P, uh, you know, up what seven eight percent. So. Yeah. You see the growth differential, you see the differential in the performance of the stock. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sometimes fundamentals make sense, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Imagine that. <laughs> All right, guys, let's shift gears a little bit here and go into the financial hot topic for the week. We've got uh, Maury and Stacy have been longtime do-it-yourself investors. Maury always worked with a broker, but he did his own research and has done well for himself. Now that Stacy is retired, they're looking to travel more, and Maury has taken up new hobbies. Recently, his broker recommended some age-based portfolios, so Maury didn't have to spend so much time monitoring his investments. His broker also suggested some bond funds to ensure diversity in his fixed investments. Jared, you want to kind of take us away here, the the key points to hit on? Yeah. Well, I mean, let me first start by saying this is extremely common. I can't tell you how... Uh, much we see this and, and particularly in, in qualified retirement plans like a 401k or something like that. And, you know, while these can be appropriate in certain circumstances, uh, we really feel that, you know, while, while they, they do tend to have, uh, or I should say make things easier as, as this, uh, Maury's broker had put it to him, um, it's not necessarily doing you any favors over the long term, we find. I mean, if anything, it's hindering the growth that you, you probably need between now and when you're choosing to retire. And I think one, one big picture thing is it lumps everyone together. It assumes anyone who's retiring mm-hmm. in this, in this year has the same risk tolerance, which exactly. is not at all the case. And it ignores the fact of what, you know, assets you might have somewhere else, especially when you think of in, in retirement plans. Yeah. So not everyone's needs are exactly the same, but when right. you pour your money into a target date fund, it, 
It's it, strictly age based. Sure. And and not only do yeah you had you make a great point, Nick. I mean we 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 would not simply put everyone into that same bucket, so to speak. Uh, but also everyone is going to have uh, different risk tolerances, different objectives for what they want to accomplish, and a lot of that's based on their spending. And that's what we try to always bring it back to is, you know, your age doesn't have nearly the impact on the longevity of of your money as does your liquidity needs. I mean, you can have five million dollars when you retire, but if you spend five hundred thousand dollars a year, the chances that you're going to run out of money are probably pretty high. Whereas if you just had say eight or nine hundred thousand and you only needed say thirty forty thousand a year from your portfolio you you can probably make that last i mean there's certainly a lot better odds than the previous scenario so uh, the age based funds are just simply going to rebalance and reallocate uh, for you over time based on your age so that as you grow older and closer to retirement even even within retirement as you grow older uh, they start to move from growth oriented uh, holdings like stocks uh, into uh, more conservative holdings like bonds. And so the way we view it is, look, if, if you're young and have more than, say, 10 years before you're looking to retire and are just you know, maybe you happen to be a very risk-averse investor, then instead of being conservative through owning fixed income securities and, and, and in some ways, you know, owning these age-based or target uh, date funds, own things like Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, Walmart, you know, these these big blue chip companies that are very defensive, pay strong dividends, uh, and in all likelihood are not going to go out of business. That's how you be conservative early on in life, and, and even more specifically, when you don't have liquidity needs. If, if sure. you don't have a need for money from your portfolio, either because you're so young and not retired, and uh, or even in retirement, we've got clients that don't have much of a need at all from their retirement portfolios, and so we say, you know, why would we hinder the growth in your portfolio when you don't even have a need for the money, when that's why you've got it exposed to the market in the first place. You want to be conservative. Let's not do a target date fund and expose you to uh, probably excessive amounts of fixed income so that your growth is hindered. Let's let's hold these more conservative, more defensive companies that are still going to pay strong yields uh, and, and get away from these target date funds because what, what you know, in my opinion – that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to hinder things for you. And and generally, I would recommend staying away from them. I think another important point to touch on in here is that if you don't have the time to monitor this full time, if you are, you know, traveling, you're taking on other hobbies, and you can't really pay it attention, and it's that important, it, it might be time to hire someone to do that for you. A lot right. of people think that they can, you know, check it every few months and be okay when that's not at all the case. You Absolutely. might pay 1% a year to somebody, but at least that's someone who's constantly monitoring your portfolio. They're rebalancing their, your portfolio. Mm-hmm. You know, they're taking the necessary actions to keep your investments in line with, with right. your, your goals. There's no customization with these at all. So Absolutely I, I not. totally agree with you. Well, now. I think we can probably talk about this a little bit more after the break, guys, but uh, I think this probably is a, is a good time to, to go pay some bills. You're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talks. I'm your host, Nick Antonucci, back with Jared McKenzie, Jacob Keene. Yep. Buster, are you still with us? I'm here. All right. <laughs> the Millennial I hadn't Show. Heard, I hadn't heard from you. That's right, the Millennial Show. Um, guys, I think we should pick back up um, 
go into a little more detail on the uh, on the hot topic we're speaking about, kind of as it pertains to target date funds, yeah, and how it kind of somewhat generalizes everyone's situation. Yeah. I know, Jacob, you want to add a few things? Yeah, well, I, I guess first, right off the top, I mean, when we're talking about a broker here uh, trying to sell a target date fund, I would wonder oh, if are you he's getting, getting paid, getting a commission <laughs> off that. So we always like to toot our own horn, and that we're really aligned with your financial goals That's and then right. we, we're not going to sell you products we're going to be with you all along the way there are no commissions here yeah so beyond that uh one of the things uh that i i see most often with these uh with these uh target day funds age-based funds let's say are they don't really tend to be tactical so one of the things that nick and i and troy as well do down in research is we try and stay in tune with these economic developments and Find opportunities to either add risk or reduce risk in a client's portfolio. Sure. Um, beyond that, the one thing I, I I would say is if you're talking about you know some of these older people being heavily invested in bonds, like a typical you know portfolio for somebody 55, 60 years old might be 80% in bonds. Well, we've benefited from 30 years of a bond bull market because inflation has been declining, but if you're talking about moving from, you know, 60 years old to, you know, a life expectancy of another 30 years, well, can we really expect over the next 30 years that inflation will not increase at any point in, in time and there? Well, with inflation, you know, stocks or even, let's say, gold is going to benefit more because as rates move up with inflation on bonds, the price of your bond is going to go down. So that's another thing to think about in that if you do hire a manager – they can respond to these developments, and it's not just set it and forget it. Right. You look back two or three years later, well, I thought I was in bonds. It was safe. And you have to explain, well, inflation's up 2 3%. So <laughs> you're down. You're down. So uh, just another thing to keep in mind overall. No, I, th- I think that's a great point. Well, so. the, the tactical thing is is really a meaningful point in that, you know, like we were talking about earlier, if you're going to trim IT right now and move some to, to say, the financial sector in this rising interest rate environment, things like that, that's what I think, you know, asset allocation really should be about, not not your age and, and really nothing else as far as these are concerned. I mean, they're called age-based portfolios for a reason, right? So, yeah, I think that if you're going to have active management, even to a small degree like this where allocations are changing over time, do it in a way that is more sensible if you're considering these market environments and, and other aspects that <clears throat> may have an impact on, uh, you know, how the portfolio is performing. Don't make it on age alone. You, you, those conservative portfolios like that as you get older, maybe you should be more conservative, sure, but there, there's no sense in hindering things to the extent that these typically do simply because of your age. Now, if you were to look at your liquidity needs or your risk tolerance or, you know, whatever else it might be, maybe that's a better justification, but strictly on age, I, I just don't think that that's an appropriate way to approach this. I agree, and now that we've kind of beaten them down, I do think there are some uh, some instances where you know, maybe this is the right option. We deal a lot with retirement plans, and a lot of the plan participants, they might save three, four, five percent to their 401k, their IRA every every paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. But they're completely unaware of what they're investing in. And in my opinion, it's better for you to do something like that than it is to oh, sure. than nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing sit in all. cash, mm-hmm. or right. or maybe you just go all into. I don't know, pick it, high-yield bonds, something like that. Yeah. So if you're truly clueless and you're not going to seek advice from anybody, 
maybe this is the right yeah. route to go. If you're not going to pay attention, it certainly is better than cash. You're absolutely right. So <laughs> if that's the default fund in your 401k plan, leave it there. You, you won't. At some point, maybe you should seek advice. But if you're if you're on the younger end of things, then uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it too much at this point. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate that good information. Um, I think now it's time we'll kind of take some listener questions that we've gotten over the week. You can send us your questions throughout the week. at uh, You can email them to drgene at hensler.com, or you can call our question hotline at 1-855-429-9166. Feel free to shoot your questions over. We'll be happy to answer them on the air. Uh, our first question comes from Craig in Peachtree City. He says, I know industrials is a tough sector, but I've been looking at Heiko Corp for a while and think this would be a good addition to my portfolio. Would this meet any of your criteria? So, in short, Heiko makes jet engine replacement parts and electronic equipment through two segments. They've got a flight support group, which primarily makes aircraft engine replacement parts and services, aircraft engines. And they're actually the largest maker of FAA-approved jet engine and aircraft component parts, if you exclude original equipment manufacturers. Um, this makes up 63% of their revenue. The other segment is Electronic Technologies Group, which makes sophisticated electronic equipment and components for the military, aviation, space, medical, and telecom industry. So the flight support group is going to be driven by growth in commercial jet engine sales um, in the future, which is forecast to grow by about 3.5% annually over the next 20 years, according to Boeing anyway. Um, and that excludes the purchase of new jets to replace existing jets. So good growth avenue there seems like a pretty steady business. Then the electronic technologies group is going to be largely driven by military spending um, under the current president. We would expect defense spending is going to continue to pick up. So um, all in all, Heiko, Heiko's growth prospects looks good. The company looks strong, but and you can see that in its stock price. It's up about 40 percent in the last year. However, that has led to valuation looking high. You're talking uh, 47 times trailing 12-month earnings 39 times next year's earnings. And this is actually a portfolio we recommend in our small mid-cap portfolio. So, our, you know, we like the company. I don't think this is the point that you buy in. Right, right, right. Seems like they've been riding on the coattails of Boeing, which was a, a hot, hot stock, uh, you know, of late. Also, uh, you know, further with the with the defense spending angle, I was, I was just reading today that uh, there's been some speculation that uh, – with China feeling like maybe they need to stimulate their economy here, you know, with yeah. the tariff uh, troubles, that uh, they might do that through uh, a fiscal fiscal boost to their own defense spending. Really? So if you think about, you know, China boosting their defense spending, uh, surely, surely it for balance of power, you know, it, it as, 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 as all these as all these geopolitical relations, you know begin to deteriorate like if we're talking Iran and Russia it 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 could be you know it could be a steady a steady area you know absolutely um, and yeah like we said it's it's just a it's little a great company it's just you what you want to buy it at the right price right. our next question comes from Elizabeth and Kane we plan to give our children some stock that we have had for several years what is the tax consequence when they sell it is it the difference from the value when we gave it to them till they sell it or the difference from the value when we purchased it Jared, I'm sure you get to deal with this plenty. Yeah, and actually this is a great question and one that 
can actually get to be pretty complex. Uh, you know, gifting of stock is pretty common, particularly when uh, it is highly appreciated. But that is going to be more appropriate for t- a charitable giving type right. situation because when you gift it to an heir like like Elizabeth and Kane are talking about here, um, they actually are going to inherit that basis in most cases. Um, now, your original basis, exactly. Whereas, so if I've got a ten dollar basis in a stock and it's worth twenty five. Then if I were to sell that today, I'd have a $15 gain on the stock. Um, but, you know, if the same thing is going to be true if I were to gift it to the heirs. They're going to inherit that basis and would incur the same type of capital gains treatment on that stock. Whereas, you know, if, for instance, you were to, say, pass away and you had some highly appreciated stock in an after-tax account, that that they stock would actually get a, yes, they get a step up in the basis, and so if it were trading at that 25, then their basis becomes the 25, not my 10. So now effectively they've got a stock that's worth more with you know a basis that is much higher, which is uh, an advantage to them because they're not going to have nearly as much of a gain that they've got to consider uh, for tax purposes. Um, sure. And, and that's not going to be the case though if you're still alive. So and I think I, as as you mentioned, gifting it to to a charity, gifting stock. I mean, that can be a great tool to to lower your, your tax bill at the end of the year as well, right? Without a doubt, yeah. The, the highly appreciated stock is probably the most commonly and most appropriate asset to gift to a charity for that very reason because uh, unless you are unless you own it in a taxable account and are planning to then uh, pass it on to one of your heirs who will then inherit it and get the step up, uh, that's the only way you're going to avoid the tax on that. And so there's really uh, not a good way aside from that to benefit from that holding without sort of directing it to a qualified charity so that and, and that could even be done through a charitable trust you know it's right. not that you've got to give that outright to a charity right now there's different ways to go about that but you know basis is very important obviously it's going to uh, have a, a pretty large impact on the tax treatment uh, and your tax return in general and so you know if you're if you're thinking about gifting stock to your children as far as Elizabeth and Kane are concerned you know I would say look for uh, stock that maybe is not as highly appreciated as some of the other positions in your account because that's going to, you know, keep a lower so, tax. So really it depends on the use. So if it was more like education, funding, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. then maybe maybe you'd want to have those considerations. Otherwise, you just want to set up a trust. Mm-hmm. If it's for estate planning purposes, just set up a trust, and then when you die, you do get that step up to your children. Well, the, for the step up to occur, it does have to be in an after-tax account. Uh, right. Right. Okay. So, and, and that's an important piece of that. But also, yeah, I mean, if, if I were to put it into a charitable trust right now, then I, I could benefit from the income from that and not have to worry about the tax consequence of it being sold. Gotcha. Clearly a complicated situation. It can be, depending. That's right. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Money Talks. Welcome back to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on radio. And guys, let's hop back into taking some more listener questions. We got a few good ones this week that'll kind of segue us into some more important discussions. I think. Um, that being said, we've got a 
Question from Don in Lawrenceville. I brought I bought extra space storage in December 2014 when it was around $58 a share. I took some profits in June 2016, thinking I had made my money. I held a bit of it when it went down. Now my little bit is a much bigger bit. What is the potential for this one? Should I trim again, back down before I lose these profits again, or should I sell out because I can't be lucky twice? Well, with this, I'd like to hit a few different areas. First of all, you know, when we manage a portfolio, we think of you know uh, rebalancing. So if you're talking about the real estate sector, it really hasn't been a high flyer here. So I would probably not be thinking of trimming there in the first place. Like we kind of mentioned earlier in the show, I'd probably look at you know some of the better performing sectors. Yeah. If uh if if I'm trying to move some things around, as far as as far as this space specifically, the storage space, it's actually one that I think we both like, Nick. Yeah. And before you dive into, it, I do want to say. If you're managing your own portfolio and these kind of questions come up, think to yourself, what was my thesis when I bought this? Why did I buy right. this storage company? And is there a potential that that story is still intact? Because maybe things have changed dramatically and you're like, well, you know, what I thought was going to happen has been completely scrapped. So, so be aware of that, but go ahead. Yeah, so I guess the, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of storylines here, you know, overarchingly in the storage space. If you think about the millennial demographic, you know, a lot of these folks are just now moving out of their parents' homes. They're yet to get married, yet to have kids, and I think that's when you start to really have a space crunch, you know, just thinking thematically there. On top of that, you've got some boomers getting into their elder years, probably downsizing, maybe wanting to right. hold on to some of their, you know. Older furniture, antiques, et cetera, you know, the sentimental value stuff. Right. So you've got that. On top of that, there's been an obvious urbanization, you know, in, in America. Um, and we've also seen the size of, of, of apartments go down. It, it was at an average of uh, about 1,000 square feet. Ten years ago, now we're down to about 900. So, so where's all that extra the, stuff going to go? The value proposition is somewhat attractive. I, I looked at Nashville for an example. So, the price per square foot in urban Nashville is a dollar 25 for an apartment. It's about 70 cents for storage. So, if you need that extra little bit, I mean, it's an interesting uh, spot. As far as extra space storage, uh, I actually tend tend to uh, uh, prefer. Public storage, just because it's it, it's got a little bit better profitability. And when we looked at public storage, the worst year they had revenue-wise was down 5.8 percent. So oh, wow. you're talking about an incredibly yeah, stable companies here, you know, yielding you know over four percent. So as far as you know, if I'm making tactical changes to my portfolio here, this is not where I'm going because this is you know a nice right. safe spot to be. Uh, right. So I guess in that vein, uh, like you said, Nick, if if the reason you you buy it is still intact, then hold on, yeah, let absolutely. it run. And that is a uh, public storage, as you mentioned, is one that we own in our equity income portfolio. So something we, we do recommend. And and I think kind of if you think demographics and investing best based on demographics, it's something you and I talk about from time to time. Some different areas that that yeah. might benefit from from that, and one that's done extremely well recently. Um, I don't know how valuations look. But like senior care, senior care, yeah, absolutely. Another in the real estate space, and I, I think it's fairly, uh, it's a fairly obvious place. Some of the kind of the, uh, a little more under the radar things that I've thought about is like life insurance. So as you have children, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you have to think about yeah. ensuring <laughs> that they're, they're taken care of if something were to happen to you. We we've talked about uh, uh, home buying picking up potentially over the next decade. So home builders, um, you think about neonatal care, you know, as more children 
are to be had. Obviously, e-commerce is a theme for everyone, you know, right. millennials. Well, one of the other uh, ones that we've thought about is uh, private label, and that we feel like, you know, a lot of the surveys we've seen is millennials are are more They're apt not to, brand loyal. Yeah, not as brand loyal. So, um, and, and one really funny one I thought about is jewelers. You know, uh, maybe not the time married. in the cycle, but yeah, no, as people get married. And it, it, an, another side point: Do you know Kroger owns jewelry stores? I did not know that. <laughs> well, there you oh. go. <laughs> there you go. Where'd you get the <laughs> ring, oh, Kroger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, they're Kroger branded different. Guy. They're branded. Yeah. It's sure, like yeah, Fred yeah, Meyer. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Wow, I had no idea. That's interesting, though. Yeah, well, thank you, Jacob, for that one. Um, I, you know, we'll take one more question here, and I think this is going to kind of lead to a, a bigger conversation. It'll probably round out the show for us. Um, but Alice Johnson from Atlanta. We own Carlisle Companies. We have more to invest, and this company has the best P.E. ratio of all our holdings. But most analysts seem to have it as a hold. Are there good buys in the market right now, or would you recommend just inve- investing into an index ETF until better buying opportunities Come along. So let's talk about Carlisle real quick, get it out of the way, and we'll have a deeper discussion on kind of how that question's phrased and maybe how some people think. Um, First off, from a valuation standpoint, if that's the lowest PE stock in your portfolio, you're really not getting any value stocks in there because this thing's trading at 21 times earnings, which is in line with, if not slightly higher than the mid-cap index as a whole. Um, But Carlisle Companies is a diversified manufacturing firm. They operate a construction materials business, food service, um, fiber optics, brake and friction. So it's pretty well diversified, but a lot of dealing with plastics. Um, kind of my concern here is commercial construction that seems to be slowing, and it uh, accounts for 62% of revenue. All in all, it meets our criteria for investment. Um, earnings growth has been picking up, and forward-looking earnings are expected to grow at 15% a year. Um, as I said, valuation doesn't look terrible, but also not incredibly attractive. So if it's something you want to hold, I'm okay with that. Um, I don't think I'd, I'd jump in, you know, hand over fist trying to buy more right now. Um, but uh, and I don't want to steal you guys' thunder because I know you might be going in this direction. But I, I do just want to tell Alice that, look, just because that's the lowest one in the portfolio, is it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best one to buy given that, um, you know, that could still be a very expensive stock. When you're talking about P.E. ratios, you really need to look peer-to-peer because you can't compare the P.E. ratio on Walmart to the P.E. ratio on Amazon, right? It's just two completely different companies. So, you know, the peers for Carlisle may have uh, – P.E. ratios that are, say, 10 to 12, and, and then you said this one's at 21, right? So right. relative to its peers, this might be a really expensive one, but just because it's got a low P.E. ratio and the lowest one in your portfolio anyways, uh, I don't know that that's going to be justification for additional buys or, sure. or adding to the position. Yeah, and so in the question says, are there good buys in the market right now, or would you recommend just investing into an index ETF until better buying opportunities come along? So First off, if you're just picking one-off stocks, you know, make sure you have a well-diversified portfolio. Don't just be trying to catch the next high flyer. If that's what you're doing, then by all means, buy an ETF. I'd rather you do that than have a portfolio of four stocks. Yeah. Um, but are there good buys in the market right now, Jacob? And this is a conversation you and I had. There are. You have I to search for are. them. There, you have to search for them. It's needle in a haystack. It is territory right now is especially when you look at broad market valuations i mean you look at you know s&p 500 median pe's prices sales 
they're historically elevated, you know, they in the are. top five, ten percent across most valuation metrics. So if if you're saying if you're saying this is the lowest valuation uh, stock that you have, and you're saying should I just go out and buy the broad market? Well, I think that's kind of inverse thinking, and in that. You know where we're looking is a lot. A lot of the areas that have been beaten down, like right. we, like we've been talking about, consumer staple, consumer staples. You can get some low double digit, high yeah. single digit multiple stocks and consumer staples that'll pay you four and a half percent, five percent. I mean, they're tobacco. They've been beaten down. You might not love the story behind it, but I I, I do think that they look very attractive right now. Right, right. Um, yeah. and, and and what you said, buying the index ETF. When you do that, you're you're also you might get some value. You're going to get some value stocks in there, certainly. But you're also going to buy the really high multiple stocks that don't look attractive right now. So I don't necessarily think you're doing yourself a huge favor by doing that if, if your goal is to kind of buy more v- value-oriented stocks. So, mm-hmm. so Nick, we did take an opportunity to look at sector by sector what what uh, these sectors were looking like relative to their five-year, ten-year PE, and it's yeah. some of these. Some of these areas that we've been looking lately, when you're talking healthcare, utilities, consumer staples, that are actually below their five and ten year average PEs, yeah. which compares to, let's say, let's information technology, technology, which is thirty percent above its ten year average PE consumer right now. Consumer discretionary, fourteen. Yeah. Percent your Amazon's. Your exactly. Best, Amazon's driving yeah, that discretionary. Yeah. So it's something, something to think about overall. I'd, I'd say. Absolutely. Well, hopefully uh, that answers answers your question. Um, you know, guys, as we look ahead to the week, we got some important uh, economic releases throughout GDP. It's going to be an interesting week in the market. I think we're going to be higher. What do you guys think? I'd say higher. Buster, <laughs> come on, chime in. Higher. Yeah, it's going to be tough with these record highs. All time say high. we're going to pull back. Pull back. Uh, no. Thanks for listening to Money Talks. Have a great week. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.